It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. All right, nothing happened this week. You want to go straight into the interview? (laughs) So much news. It was incredible. I mean, it started last Friday when the podcast had already dropped, the North Carolina Supreme Court hands down this decision. It was a little complicated. If there is a fire in North Carolina politics, they threw some gasoline on it. Definitely. You and I were having lunch on Friday and we were reading through the tweets, folks talking about the opinion. And it was a little convoluted. The court had ruled that many of the legislatively drawn seats were unconstitutional. So they redrew the seats. And the premise of the case was, if these seats are unconstitutional, the General Assembly is then unconstitutional. And these two amendments, voter ID and income taxes, were also unconstitutional. And the court said, we agree with you. Now they said, you need to go back down to the trial court and we can get some more information to make a decision. But it was a pretty big ruling. We should note that it was along party lines. The Democrats on the Supreme Court voted yes. The Republicans voted no. It brought up a lot of hypothetical, theoretical scenarios. Folks were asking, okay, do we go back to the Democratic majorities during the 2000s and before the 2000s, where we had some constitutional amendments. We know that those maps at various times were ruled unconstitutional. Then it brought up the idea, can an unconstitutional legislative body enact any laws? I mean, we've had budgets, we've had laws passed, and are they all unconstitutional? It really was a curious decision. Moving on to gubernatorial news and updates on both sides for 2024. You've got your presumptive nominee on the left, Josh Stein. You've got your presumptive nominee on the right, Mark Robinson. And guess what? They both stay in the news. We had a roller coaster with the saga of this ad that the campaign for Attorney General Josh Stein ran in 2020 against Jim O'Neill, the district attorney in Forsyth County. It looked as if an indictment was about to come down this week. On Monday afternoon, the grand jury asked the DA's office to present them with indictments. And that came down Monday right at five, I believe. And then on Tuesday, a federal court did grant his injunction to stop the case. So as of right now, there are not going to be charges against Attorney General Josh Stein. However, he did tweet about it on Tuesday. That was, I think, before the federal court came out with that injunction. But it said, quote, you may have seen this news and it was about, obviously, about this case. Here's what I want you to know. The ad was true. And I will never apologize for my work to fight for sexual assault victims. The DA's investigation is unfounded, but it will not distract me from my work to protect people. This is a departure for Attorney General Josh Stein. Up until this minute, I feel that the messaging, and I think a lot of folks feel that the messaging has been, I have right to pretty much say what I want, political speech, free speech. It is protected. There was 
almost this acknowledgement that, that maybe the ad was not true. I think at one point the campaign said, look, we weren't saying it. It was this woman who was featured in the ad. She was saying it. But now he seems to be pivoting. I think it's a good move for him, by the way. He's been on defense for about a month. And this does put him on offense. It seems as if in addition to maybe some legal advice he's been getting over the last month, he's had some communications advice, at least in the last week, that's taking hold. Just to be clear, that federal injunction that was granted, a federal court will decide whether or not they believe this old law is unconstitutional. And let's say they say it's not unconstitutional, it's constitutional. Then we could go back to the grand jury. We'll we'll see where that ends up. To be continued. Now, his, as you pointed out, presumptive opposition in a race for the governor in 2024 also made news this week. So last week we'd heard on Tim Boyum's podcast that he had written a book, so he's doing some press about the book that I believe is coming out September 13th. Mm-hmm. And then WRAL got an advanced draft of the book and wrote a little article about seven things that came out of the book. Let me point out that Lieutenant Governor Robinson's appearance on Tim's podcast last Wednesday, I think a lot of us in political circles thought, all right, the Lieutenant Governor's reining it in a little bit. He was still had his values and he talked about those, but kind of the rough edges were taken off. And then a few days later, the excerpts come out on WREL. And in addition to how he feels about LGBTQ North Carolinians, he, <laughs> he certainly outlined some policy positions that he has taken. And they're somewhat controversial, especially as it pertains to science education. He specifically said in the book that he wanted to leave science and history out of the curriculum for K or K through five. Yeah. (laughs) I should note yesterday I was at SAS with a house select committee on STEM, science, technology, education, as it pertains to women, girls, students. And it was bipartisan in the presentation. We need more science In that K-5 curriculum, this had a lot of folks scratching their heads. Speaking of girls and women, he had some thoughts on that as well, which we have heard in the past from him. Yeah. He says that women want to dominate men. And one of the things... Agreed. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) And he's not going to let any woman dominate him again at a time when Republicans, and Democrats for that matter, are fighting for suburban women voters, this really cannot be helping. I'm sure we will hear much more about this when the book is released. Also on Tuesday, we've all been watching, we talked about this last week, we've been watching that residency challenge of Valerie Jordan. And it went to the Currituck County Board of Elections, and they held a full hearing on it Tuesday. Nathan Babcock was live tweeting it, and so we were really like staying up to date on what was happening. It was very interesting. We talked about it last week a little. Here's the situation. 
Senator Bobby Hannock, who, by the way, was just appointed last Thursday by the Republican Executive Committee. Senator Bobby Hannock is charging that his Democratic challenger does not live in the district that runs from the Outer Banks to Warren County. Now, she says that she lives in Warrington. She is registered to vote there. A lot of digging has revealed that, you know, she gets her Amazon packages in Raleigh. She lives in Raleigh, or at least she's staying in Raleigh. Checking, banking, all of that is in Raleigh. And so the Hannock campaign took this complaint to the Currituck Board of Elections. Now, it should be noted that it is a five-person board. Three are Democrats, two are Republicans. This Currituck County Board of Elections, which, by the way, is where Senator Hannock lives. He lives in Currituck County. They voted three to two. So this was a bipartisan vote to recommend that the state board of elections look at this and make a decision on Valerie Jordan's residence. Now, this is a five-person board at the state board of elections. Three are Democrats. Two are Republicans. So that happened Tuesday afternoon, and then by Tuesday evening, you saw that the State Board of Elections announced that they would halt printing ballots in those 10 counties that are in Senate District 3 in order to hear out that challenge. I'm not sure that it's been scheduled yet, but it has to be scheduled in the coming days because there is a deadline on printing those ballots. I really do think this is going to be dismissed. The politics are there for... Valerie Jordan to prevail, but certainly an unforced error on her part. Uh, This is a high-profile Senate race. We pointed it out last week. The media has talked about it. This race determines whether Republicans have supermajorities or not. We have learned that Valerie Jordan has cleaned up some of this stuff. I think she's getting her mail now in Warrington. This was one of those weeks when the General Assembly was scheduled to come back into session, but again, it was just an administrative session, which turned into just a media frenzy of Speaker Moore and Senator Berger talking to the media about hot topics. The big topic was abortion, and they don't seem to be on the same page as classic (laughs) as it relates to abortion policy. We heard Senator Berger say that he doesn't think the General Assembly should get involved in the first trimester of a woman's pregnancy. So we're talking that 12 to 15 week period. He did believe that they had some interest in regulating abortion after that. Now, current law in North Carolina is 20 weeks. Speaker Moore took a different take. Yes, Speaker Moore said that he supported that sort of legislation you've seen in other states called the heartbeat legislation, where at first heartbeat, which is about six weeks, is when abortions would be banned. So a lot of this comes down to supermajorities. If the Republicans do get supermajorities, this fight is going to play out. I think those caucus meetings are going to be very interesting debates. The other topic that we continue to hear about this year, we will continue to hear about, would be Medicaid expansion. Senator Berger and Speaker Moore seem to indicate that we are not going to see a deal this year unless it comes in December. The fight over 
certificate of need, which we've explained in previous podcasts, is what appears to be separating the House and Senate, and they have stalled on that, so nothing is happening. Now, I take it that giving advanced nurse professionals, nurse practitioners, and others, allowing them to practice at the top of their license, that seems to be off the table right now. It does. But that is certainly a topic that you're going to see play out in the elections as well. So this week, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Senator Steve Jarvis. He's a Republican from Davidson County. He dropped by the office and we had a great conversation. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Steve Jarvis, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Great to be here. To start us off, tell us about your district. Where is your district? Why do you think your district is special? Well, my district represents Davidson County and all of Montgomery County. And I would just say to be special, we've got the world famous barbecue, as (laughs) everybody in North Carolina (laughs) recognizes. And we've got racing and we've got fine art. So, as well as uh, the URE uh, National Forest. So, I think we've got a lot of unique things going for us and a lot of the good people. Um, You know, Richard Childers, Bob Timberlake, just to name a few. It's becoming a community where folks who might be crowded out of the housing market in Greensboro are living in Davidson County. So you're seeing an influx of growth. That is correct. I I often tell people that basically Davidson County, the best kept secret is we're the true hub of Mm -hmm. the triad. You can go two hours and we can be anywhere. Mm -hmm. We can be in Charlotte. We can be, you know, and we've got the North Carolina, where we're at, within three hours, we can be at the mountains, we can be at the beach, we can be at the sand hills. We've got everything within just a few hours we reach. You are in the construction business, so you see this firsthand. Can you talk a little bit about your career? Yes, I'm a general contractor by trade. I've been in the industry since about 89 and 93. I was licensed. Wow and have been in the i've been in just about every phase of construction that there could be i've been in renovation i've been in new homes i've been in spec home building Mm. for about the past 10 years we've been doing all commercial work but construction in general all the way through so let's talk about your life a little bit growing up you and i talked a little bit before the podcast you're not a native north carolinian but you got here pretty quickly (laughs) can you talk about who you are, where you were born, and then why you moved to North Carolina? Yeah, I was actually born in Anderson, Indiana. Uh, Mm. I had no choice in that matter. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go back just a little bit. My father was actually uh, born in Kentucky, a farmer. He left for one year. His older brother went to Anderson, Indiana, going to make big money at General Motors. And my dad met my mama course they got married they were actually got a picture of me down here at whenever I was one year old Hmm. uh, looking to move to Thomasville North Carolina so it was about 12 13 years later when they finally got here 
Um, and North Carolina's home. I love it. Um, probably been back to Indiana maybe three or four times mm -hmm. since then. What brought your parents to Thomasville? You know, I'm not 100% sure. I know Dad wanted to get back um, south. Mm -hmm. uh, weather, I'm sure, played a part of it. Uh, I think there was a private private school they mm -hmm. were interested in putting, mm -hmm. putting us in as well. So just several things. Brothers and sisters, how many? I've got two sisters. Okay. I'm actually uh, my youngest sister. I'm nine years younger. Wow. So I, I was probably a mistake. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's usually how that works, isn't it? <laughs> and also, we talked about this when you were growing up. You have had a real interest and you've moved some foster care bills. And you said that when you were growing up, your parents actually fostered. Can you talk about that and what led your parents to do that? I'm not sure what actually led my mother to do it other than service and she loves kids. Mm -hmm. um, my mother actually fostered 18 children while I was growing up. Wow. Uh, I'll give you the very last one, which I remember whenever I was real young growing up with Johnny. I think I was probably four or five years old and was on the farm and running around with him. I, I probably, he's one of the ones I remember the most, but then outside of Rebecca, we had Rebecca from four days old until she was four years old. Wow. And then when mom and dad tried to adopt, they would not allow us to adopt her. I've actually tried to research and see if I could find Rebecca. I've mm -hmm. not been able to. I would love to with this day of technology. We should be able to. Mm -hmm. But for some, some reason, women changed their name. Mm -hmm. It's sort of hard to, yeah. hard to follow that track. So. Yeah. The bills you're introducing, are you trying to make adoption easier? Because I, I have heard this, that it is a cumbersome, expensive process to adopt bureaucratic. In fact, uh, folks opt to adopt internationally because sometimes that's easier, even though more expensive. Is that what you're trying to accomplish? That's exactly correct. Whenever I was a uh, county commissioner, I was actually chairman of the DSS board. Hmm. And I had different situations to where not only the foster care end of it, but the adoption, both, both ends. Foster care, I had one gentleman that, uh, he lived on a place probably 30 acres, mm -hmm. had a house that would probably sell for a million dollars in Davidson mm -hmm. County, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. yeah. And <clears throat> he went through the whole process, came up and they turned him down. Mm. There was an old wet weather that wasn't even a creek, wasn't even a branch because it dries up in the summer. Mm -hmm. But a little branch there and then his uh, fence around his pool, which was wrought iron, mm -hmm. excellent. Had a big kitchen out there, outdoor kitchen. It was three inches under spec and he was not allowed to adopt. But yet we can put children in homes that are mm -hmm. much subpar right. to what that was. So that, that's an issue, as well as the fact I've had several of my friends that have actually went to go through the adoption process and have actually went overseas mm -hmm. because it's, quite frankly, it's simpler and cheaper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that shouldn't be that way. Whenever Davidson County, we, when I left uh, the board, I think we had 186 children that could be adopted. 
that's absurd right. to not be able to. I, I would like to see the day where it would not cost anything to adopt yeah. and cut the red tape. I understand there's, there's reasons that we have to be careful, and I'm not saying to get rid of that, but something that we can do to give these children a good permanent home. And one of the, the one bill that I did pass with expedite permanence to foster care, the reason behind that was hoping to see children in a permanent home within one year after it's determined that they have been, they are going to be removed. Simple economics here. It seems like the state would have a financial interest in facilitating a more efficient adoption system. We have, what, 15,000 kids in foster care right now. That means the taxpayer, and this is a good thing, the taxpayer is footing the bill for these children's education and upbringing, but if you were allowed them to get into the adoption process, they come off your books. That's exactly correct. Not, right. not to even speak of the fact of how many children we have in other states right. mm-hmm. uh, that we have to take care of. Now, you can, we can do a whole other podcast about that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so once you were making that transition into your career, we were told that you had a tragic accident. Can you talk about that and how that impacted your life? I had been married one year, mm-hmm. and we were one week from starting to dig the footings for my personal house, which mm-hmm. was going to be our dream home at the time. And I actually fell uh happened to end up on in a basement concrete slab uh landed about i don't know two three inches from a concrete block my head did wow uh so i'm I'm blessed that that did not uh did not hit my head of course some people would say maybe that's what's wrong with me today (laughs) (laughs) but uh no i broke i broke my back i broke my spine in three places so went through about a two-year process uh, being out of work in six different body casts and just a big change in life. Uh, My wife taking on two, three jobs just to make ends meet, and uh, we went through a major transition. So I I understand what it is to to be down and to be on the other end to where you needed needed assistance and help. Yeah. And we were not able to get it, but we uh, we were able to make out. And yeah, I'm here today. I don't think people realize that in the construction business, my fam I have a lot of family from master carpenters to trim guys, but you got to eat what you kill, right? It's not one of those things where you say, boss, I need a two-year uh, medical leave. You're not earning when you're in the hospital, right? No, not at all. You're You're totally... Other, other than workman's comp, what workman's comp took care of, uh, you're on your own. Do you still have some residual effects of that fall? I do. Um, I still have chronic pain do you? Uh, in the back, of course. You know, if, if I would follow the doctor's orders, the doctor says you're not going to lift over 10 pounds the rest of your life. Don't twist or bend. Don't sit for any length of time don't stand for any length of time. I said, okay, what, what are you saying I can do? You said, I can't get a desk job. I can't get a counter job. I can't go back to what I'm doing. He said, well, you're young enough. You'll figure something out. So I reckon it worked out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it did. 
Can we talk a little bit about your wife? You said she was working two, three jobs to feed the family and keep things going. It is noticeable just how much you love your wife. Tell us a little bit about how you met her and what she means to you. Wendy is my high school sweetheart. Yes, she Probably I was, I don't know, seven years old whenever my mama tells me we came down here to North Carolina and I, I went and gave her um, a lifesaver or something. Uh-huh. Went sort, of, sort of liked her then, I reckon. Of course, life goes on. And then whenever I was probably about 14, uh, my cousin, we were out in a tent uh-huh. staying. We were down here. And um, anyways, we had big life plans if you... Think about the Oak Ridge Boys uh, setting fancy free. <laughs> well, that was one of the songs. Oh, we were going to live the life. You know, we mm-hmm. were going to batch and we was going to have a fun time. I came home whenever I was 14. I told him, I said, man, I said, I don't, I don't think it's going to work out. I said, I met the woman I'm going to marry. Wow. <laughs> she didn't even know that. She didn't even like me. I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> You've been working on her ever since. <laughs> That's go. right. Yeah. So anyways, met her at uh, a church camp. Okay. And well, when we was 14, that's when we met at the church camp. But anyways, from there, we started dating, dated and uh, got married and been married for 36 years. Oh, so wow. yeah, grew up together. I, I know folks are going to ask this. I need to just follow up. You were building your dream house when the accident happened. Tell us about the dream house. Did it become a dream, or what happened? Did it delayed, or, or how how'd that work out for you? It definitely got delayed, yeah. and it did not. The dream house did not get built. Oh. We did build a house, okay, but it was not the one that we were planning to build, and that probably was a good thing because mm-hmm. I was at that time probably feeling like I could build a lot bigger than what I should have uh, financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we built a little small 1,100-square-foot uh, house. And whenever my first son was born, we were able, we moved in, I think, maybe a month before he was born. So my kids have known nothing but living in a house throughout time. Of course, my wife's put up with a lot. We have, <laughs> uh, whenever you're in the building industry, you end up either... Uh, having a spec house for sale or selling your house. So mm-hmm. we've, we've moved probably, I think I'm in the fifth or sixth house that we've either, if I've got two houses, you put them both for sale, whichever one sells, you move to the next one and yeah. move on. So let's move into your political career. You've been in politics for a good while now, although your last couple jobs have been at the state legislature, but before that you were active in local government. Can you talk about what propelled you to get involved in politics? It goes back probably whenever I was 16 years old, I actually met Ronald Reagan in Charlotte. So we followed his whole campaign. I did all kind of books for him in school mm-hmm. and felt like someday I would be involved to serve in some capacity. Of course, I always thought it'd probably be at the local level. I had no ambition to be at the state, mm-hmm. uh, serve two terms, as county commissioner mm-hmm. for Davison County. I loved it, I enjoyed it. They came to me, wanted me to run for the house. I said, no, I'm not interested. Then I had, I was gonna support a doctor that was planning to run. Mm-hmm. And he came to me, he said, we need to have breakfast. So we went out to breakfast and he said, listen, you need to, you need to rethink this. There's been some major things happen in my life and I'm going back out. 
And he said, you need to, you need to run. I said, well, I'll pray about it, talk to my wife, and we'll see what happens from there. And, of course, one of the big things for, for me at that time was having to come to Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big change. It is. I'm a, I'm a rural farm boy. And you got a business to operate, that's right. too, right? You got a business to run. So, anyways, we talked about it. Whenever I first went in as county commissioner, I could have counted on one hand the number of times that me and my wife had been spent a night apart. Uh-huh. And so that was a big thing. You know, you go to Raleigh, we're going to have to be apart yeah. at times. And so, anyways, we felt like it was a thing to do, and we moved forward, and here we are today. First, you were in the House, and now you're in the Senate. Can you talk about the differences in the House and the Senate, and what made you want to move to the Senate? Whenever they asked me to run for the House, I said, no, I don't plan to, don't want to. I always thought if I were to ever be in the state, it would be the state Senate. Okay. And my reasoning was looking at it from the outside. I felt like it was a very Mm -hmm. structured and organized operation and and i don't mean that in any wrong way to Mm -hmm. the house it's just from looking on and that's that's the way i like to operate is more structured and Mm. if if we're starting at six o'clock we're starting at six o'clock we're not starting at 601 right and we know when you're in raleigh it's legislative time and you work (laughs) off the legislative time but um so i always thought that was the path that i would choose but looking back i think it was very um, providential to be in the house uh, had a great time while I was there mm-hmm. met a lot of people got to know a lot of people I understand how the house works and the inner workings of the house and I think that is beneficial to be able to work across it is noticeable to me when we watch you in committee or on the senate floor that you truly are one of the nice guys down there. You always smile. You're smiling now as I (laughs) ask this question. You are introducing bills that you have an expertise in, mainly around the construction business. And even when you get questions from your colleagues on both sides of the aisle, you always answer the questions thoroughly, but you do it with kindness. So I just got to ask this, how does a nice guy like you end up in (laughs) politics I like to always think that I would like to treat other people the way that I want to be treated. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for being mean. Now, there's differences of agreement, and we can disagree. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I think that we can disagree agreeably, and we'll go have lunch or go have dinner. How does that translate into political campaigns? Because folks might not know this, but you've had some bruisers to get to your seat in the Senate, especially. I just always uh, try to look at it and I don't address the negative. And everybody from leadership down, as far as in the political arena, Mm -hmm. they wanted to run negative ads. I said, I will not run a negative ad. I'm going to be positive. I think we can be truthful and be positive and Talk about what I have done or what I haven't. I've had people ask me, well, you know, what makes the difference as to why you should be in office as opposed to an opponent? And I've always said, I think you need to look in and look at a record. See what they've done. Have they moved any bills? Mm-hmm. I said, it's all public. Right. You can look it up. And I think the history speaks for itself. Your faith, does that play a part, too, in in the way you approach this? Because, again, we're friends on social media, yeah. and 
it seems that it is a pillar of who you are. That is correct. My faith is very strong, and I try to always look to the Lord and ask Him for leadership every day. And I want to try to represent him in the best way that I can see fit. Is that hard, though? Politics is is not exactly, uh, I mean, it's a noble profession. We work in it proudly. I mean, sometimes it must be hard to have that prayer, right? It is. It's a challenge. Um, there's There's times that you're, you're not exactly happy with people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or the process right. or, you know, things get caught up into personalities sometimes. And that's what I always try to, I, I tell my wife, I say, you know, you need to, and the kids, you just don't look at social media, number one, because people can be cruel and whatever they do or whatever they say, just let it roll. And my wife likes to say, she says, I've got the skin of an alligator, but I just try not to let that affect me or get into affecting my attitude. In our politics today, we are incredibly divided. If you could fix one thing in our politics, what would it be? I've thought about this question a lot. I I agree with just about everybody you've had on the podcast. Uh, I think one problem we've got is a news media that does not report news. They like to create a divide, whether it be a press release, whether it be any news. Everything is divisive. It's Republican, it's Democrat. You can simply remove Republican, Democrat, and use minority and majority party. Mm -hmm. You're saying the same exact thing, but it's not abrasive Mm -hmm. to people. So I think if we had news media that would truly report the news, And of course, like my wife says, she wishes there was no such thing as social media. Senator Steve Jarvis, we appreciate everything you do for North Carolina, your district, the North Carolina Senate. You certainly know how to do politics better. We appreciate you being on the podcast today. Well, thank you. Appreciate all you do. And I think it's a great thing that you're doing with the podcast. It helps us to better know who the legislators that some of them that we serve with that we've not really had time to sit down to Mm. dig into the background. So I really appreciate it. Thank y'all. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Senator Jarvis is such a nice man. It was really interesting to hear him talk about foster care. I don't think that we'd had someone on the podcast who really talked about a passion for foster care and changing the system. I found that to be really interesting and also how he overcame his major injury as well. Tweet Tweet of of the week. week. This week's tweet of the week is from Persephone, the library Kago, and that is at NCGA underscore avocado. So the tweet is, it's been real slow here at the GA. And if it's slow for a plant, imagine what it's like for people. Best wishes to all (laughs) and happy photosynthesis. (laughs) 
as controversial as it may be, I think I was in somewhere around the fifth grade where I learned about photosynthesis, where plants convert light into energy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> was this a trivia? You're just letting me know you know what it is. Yeah, I just want to say I learned that K-5. Maybe folks don't know that I am in the presence of an athlete right now. (laughs) (laughs) You very much are. (laughs) So my good friend, Brian Lewis, comes wobbling into the office this morning. Well, first of all, last week he had his first softball game and the next day his toe hurt. (laughs) He had to put his toe on ice all day. (laughs) Yeah. And so I keep saying you don't hurt yourself. But now I'm staring right now at a scraped knee, and the other knee has a brace on it. So tell us about that. I should first say, I hung up my baseball career when I turned 50. I used to play in an old man wood bat league up in Granville County. I played for the Granville County Garage Doors. Yeah. Well, Uh, we we were sponsored by a garage door company. So I gave up. They go up, they come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I gave up baseball because I was having so many injuries. And this year, a buddy of mine in the neighborhood putting together a co-ed softball team. My wife and I are playing. And I came out of retirement to play softball. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've really never played softball. I've played baseball in my life. but I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> last night we lost... 21 to 20. So these are 41 runs are being That's scored. a lot. It is a lot. These, we, we're playing young kids. So we're all kind of older. Our neighborhood's older. We're playing a bunch of 20-somethings. And these youngins rip youngins. the ball. <laughs> Tell me you're old without telling me. So these injuries are coming back. Like my right knee is all beat up. My left knee, oh, it's such a scabby mess. Oh my gosh, I can see your elbow is scratched up too. Yeah, that, that's my diving catch to that oh, made wow. last night. Was, Not to brag, but it I'm... was pretty good. I mean, someone did say it looked like a major league play. <laughs> was that your mom that said that? <laughs> no. Hey, will you play? Because no. you played softball in high school. I absolutely do not want to be a part of this. You know why? Because you I pop off. I mean, people don't like playing games with me. We need that. Mm -mm. No, I'm a no, and also it's too late for me. (laughs) Yeah, it is because you're going to bed at six thirty every night now. (laughs) Yeah, I have a balance, and I like sleep. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're gonna make a nice little transition into the retirement home. Okay, sir waddles a lot. You (laughs) shut up. It is a positive. It's mainly folks from our neighborhood. So we're having, you know, it's fun. It's funny. I've been around your neighborhood. Yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) It's nice to be doing something positive instead of hearing people's complaints all the time. Brian rolls into the office Monday and says he has to tell me a story. First of all, his HOA has Fun Friday. (laughs) <laughs> at their pool where Brian DJs. So we got a complaint there. Yeah. Well, we have this lady in our neighborhood. Okay. She would be one of the townspeople in the movie Footloose. Okay. If we're having fun, she doesn't want to have fun. So she complains about the music. She claims that we approve people's paint colors based on whether they used to serve on the HOA or not. 
Now, I don't really mind the complaint. She comes up to me Friday night at Fun Friday. You know, it's a pool party, but yeah, lady, give me your complaints. What I have a problem with. Okay. And this is where. Lay down the hammer, Lewis. <laughs> all the elected officials that we work with, I don't know how you do it every single day because she gets on these community forums and she writes all of these outlandish allegations about how the HOA operates. Now, let me just tell you, I am a reluctant president of the HOA. I was thrown in because our community was very divided about certain signs, social commentary, Black Lives Matter, and I came in and I became, I, my role was to be the peacemaker. Those who wanted to, to display signs, those who did not. I a real do politics yeah. better moment. It was moment. a do politics better moment. They asked me to serve. I'm serving my term ends in October. But I have a problem with this lady getting on community forums and making allegations against me and the other volunteers in the neighborhood. So Sunday, she was making some allegations and I responded on the community forum. Mm -hmm. Then she started texting me. And then I called her. And then what? It was not a do politics better moment. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, told her where she could stick it. And I told her this because, you know, she plays this little old lady routine, even though she's probably 35. She's 35? One, I don't know. She's, you told me she was 50. She probably is 50. But she mm -hmm. plays like this sweet old lady. So she'll say something. And then when you call her out on it, she goes, well, that's just what I'm hearing, Brian. <laughs> I didn't say it. And I said, look, do we put everything we're just hearing on a community forum? I asked her this. I said, because I've heard some things about you. <laughs> do you want me to put it on a community forum? And she said, that would be a personal attack. And I said, you're personally attacking me. And then she says, I'm not attacking you. It's just when I'm here. So I told her, I said, look, lady, I'm not going to tell you your name. I'm tired of the sweet little lady routine. I'm tired of that little hiding you, behind. You these. called her conniving. I did call her conniving. <laughs> And I let her have it. I said some other things. But you know what she did later Sunday? What? She took her post off the community forum. Bottom line, don't mess with little Louie. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you showed her <laughs> making an 80-year-old cry. <laughs> She's 80 years old in her mind. <laughs> she could be 35 for all I know. So, anyway, I did not do politics. Why do you have a community forum next door or what? Well, there's Nextdoor. She is a prolific writer on <laughs> Nextdoor. We can't control that. For some reason, we have a community forum on our Wellesley website. And you have to log in. But man, you know, I got a lot of texts Sunday. People are like, yeah, we're popping popcorn over here watching this. And it's not good. Fighting with people online never leads to an amicable result. It is You know, true. I'm banned off of a forum. <laughs> But, you know, I did, again, I will have a, I, my one-on-ones with her. You know, I don't mind you complain. It comes with the territory. But just the allegations that I approved someone's paint color because he used to, you know, I know him. It's just crazy. You know, here's the other thing. As president. <laughs> there's more. There's more. I've gotten five non-compliance letters as president. We Our shutters were purple. Had to take them down. One time we didn't get our trash cans up. We left our Christmas decorations out too long. We left our graduation signs out for our kids. We left those out past the 30-day limits. And I told her this. And she seemed to understand. She nodded. 
as if she understood Friday night. And then she gets on this forum and makes these allegations. I, I just, I'm done with it. Please reach out to Brian with any complaints that you might have about your personal HOA <laughs> and talk to him about it. He'd like to hear about other HOAs. We hope that y'all have enjoyed listening to this episode. Take the time to give us five stars, subscribe to the podcast. It helps folks find us. And we are sure that while the General Assembly is not in session, there will be plenty of news next week. So we'll bring it back to you then. Until then, please remember to do politics better. <laughs>